You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, How to Act on God's Timing. How to Act on God's Timing. Just very quickly, um, as mentioned and during the announcements, next week is the women's ministry, um, and, and after that, the, the following weekend after that is the men's ministry. Uh, those are two events that we're planning, or we've been planning for, our, our, the, for the men and the women in order to study what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is actually about. And, you know, we always get this sort of these dif- definitions from the world and from media outlets of what those terms mean, what manhood and womanhood mean. And it's very important for us in this day and age to really see what the Bible defines it as, how God defines those those two things are. So uh, make sure that you make time for that. There's going to be some good time of fellowship, some word, and also some, some food. So um, make time for that. Now, as we began last week, we are back in our Gospel of John series. We are in chapter 7. And again, I highly encourage you, if you haven't yet or if you haven't done so in a while, to go back and read the first six chapters of the Gospel of John so that you would be able to get caught up and refresh your mind of where we are in, in this narrative that the, the Apostle John is depicting of our Savior. And last week, we started in chapter 7. That's where we left off. And, and of, course, uh, of course, chapter 7 begins several months after chapter 6. We mentioned how chapter 6 started at the, the, at the, the Feast of Passover. Then in chapter 7, it's at the beginning of the, the Feast of Booths, as we just read. So there's about seven months in between that time. If you remember last week, we talked about how the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacle is a Jewish uh, harvest festival. It commemorates a time of Israel who, that was the time of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. It was meant to commemorate a solemn rest, a demonstrate, of, uh, a demonstrate a dependence on God. They would build booths, these sort of these tents, these makeshift tents in, out in the fields and, and gather in the grain, gather in the first fruits of harvest, and all of that, again, to commemorate what happened in the wilderness. Now, as we read from our text just now and what we discussed last week, we see there's a little tension that takes place between Jesus and his brothers, his brothers being James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. The family was headed down to Judea, to Jerusalem, for the Feast of Booths, like most Jewish people did in that, that festival. And his brothers wanted Jesus to come along. They wanted Jesus to come down with his disciples to display miracles, to show his power, but we find out in verse 5 of what we just read is that it's, the reason for that is because they were unbelievers. Jesus' own brothers did not believe him. It says in verse 5, for not even his brothers believed him. They wanted to see the miracles for themselves. Or they, they, they believed that if, if Jesus was to be that, that socio-political Messiah that the rest of Israel was hoping and waiting for, then Jerusalem was the place that he had to go in order to win the throne, in order to conquer Rome. That's the mindset that Jesus' brothers had. But then Jesus' response to them was, as we just read, no, it's not my time. It's not his time to be glorified, to be recognized by the people as the Savior of the world. It's not his time. It's not the Father's will just yet. 
And in fact, Jesus even calls his brothers, his own brothers out, as we read in verse 6 to 7. He says, your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus was saying, you can go about all you want to Jerusalem because they don't, they're not trying to kill you because you're part of them. You're part of the world. Your time is here. And of course, we ended last week with Jesus staying in Galilee. And the, lessons, the lesson that we learned from that is how to wait on God's timing. How to wait on God's timing. If you had notes from last week, you would remember that in order to wait for God's timing, we cannot, forsake, we cannot forsake God's timing. Just for the sake of convenience, right? Jesus could have went to Jerusalem with his brothers because they were going anyways. For the sake of convenience, and, and again, as, the, as his brothers were saying, if you wanted to become that, that Jewish Messiah, this is the place to go. The crowds were gathering for the festival of booths there at Jerusalem. If you wanted to make a big impact, show off his miracles, show off his power, this is the place to be. We cannot forsake God's timing for convenience. Secondly, we talked about we cannot force God's timing. Again, the reason why, why his brothers wanted him to go down to Judea is because they wanted, they wanted Jesus to be that king, that political leader that they were hoping to be. Really, they're, they're testing God. They're trying to force God's hand into making Christ king sooner than later. And of course, the last point that we talked about last week is we must not fear God's timing. We must not fear God's timing. Part of, of being in sync with God's time is trust. Trusting that His plans, His will, His purposes for us is much better than our own. It, it, that His plans and purpose for us is best. And the challenge for us is to wait. Remember, th this is all happening in the context of the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths, once again, was a celebration of how God provided for them in the wilderness. That it was meant to be a solemn rest for, 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 the, for the people of God, uh, for them to worship God in that waiting, in that being still and waiting for God's provision. And yet here was Jesus' brothers wanting them, wanting Jesus to go and, and, and become king sooner than later. Again, this was a festivity of solemn rest. So the purpose of last week's sermon was, was to learn how to wait on God's timing. How to wait on God's timing. Now continuing in that same mindset, in the same context, this week we're looking at how to act on God's timing. How to act on God's timing. If last week was again waiting on God's timing, now this week it's about how to act. When God's timing has finally arrived, when God's purposes, His plans has finally come to your, your doorstep, how do you act? How do you respond? What is the appropriate response to that? Similar to how Christ demonstrates how to wait, we really get to learn how to act by His example. And my hope for us this morning is that we would demonstrate a similar obedience to the will and timing of God as our Savior does in our passage. That we would not fall short into disobedience. That we would not hesitate when, timing, when God's timing arrives, when God's purposes and plans arrives in our lives. That we would demonstrate complete faithfulness. Because we'll see, you know, and, and, and there are many examples of this in Scripture that we can end up shipwrecking our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, when we are not faithful to the task 
when we are not faithful when God calls or when, when his timing comes. Last week, again, we covered from, so we're going to get into our passage. Last week, we were, we're going to get in, last week, we were in verse 1 to 9, and now we're picking up in verse 10. So look, look at this with me. Um, we're going to unpack it verse by verse again. It says in verse 10, But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Now, it's very important, very crucial to mention that Jesus is not wishy-washy, right? At face value, if you read this, especially from verse 1 to 9 and then verse 10, it could seem that, well, Jesus had a change of heart. Maybe Jesus thought, well, you know, maybe I should just go up anyways to the Feast of Booths, right? I mean, my brothers are going, and they, they, they seem like they're, they, they're, they knew what they were talking about. Might as well go up. At face value, it seems like Jesus changed his mind. But we know that Scripture says that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What this passage actually communicates is that Christ is Christ's faithfulness to the Father's will. Remember, John's purpose for his gospel is in John, 20, John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The purpose of why, why John wrote this gospel is to, to give examples as to why Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but also why he is the Son of God, meaning that he is equal to God in nature, in power, and in authority, but also in will. Jesus had the same will as the Father. In fact, he even says that in chapter 6. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. All of, that, all of this is to show how Christ was so obedient to the Father's will, to the Father's timing, even down to the very minute condition of God's timing and will. Listen, again, Jesus could have gone with his brothers up to Jerusalem, up to Judea, um, to save the trouble of, of, of calling them out, having that, that awkward discussion with his brothers. Jesus knew that he would eventually have to go down there anyways. He could have just went with his brothers, right? I mean, what's, what, what, what's the difference if he went tomorrow or today or, or with his brothers? So at face value, at least in, in human terms, if he was going down, if he's going to go down to Jude to Jerusalem anyways, why didn't he just go earlier, right? But again, the point is this: Jesus was demonstrating his absolute faithfulness and complete obedience to the Father's will, to the Father's timeline, not man's. Despite the possible benefits that he might have reaped if he went down with his brother and, and going on people's schedules, Jesus was faithful to God's timeline. And not just the timeline, but, but the method of God. Again, it says that he went up, not publicly, but privately. His brothers, again, want him to go and display his power, his miracles, all that, to get the attention, to get the following. But Jesus does the complete opposite, and he does it God's way. He does it privately, in secret, in some translations. And we see the reason for why God's timing, why his will was so perfect. Look at verse 11 with me. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading people astray. There is much talk about Jesus. It, said that, it says that people were muttering or murmuring about him at this festival. Everyone was looking for him. If Christ had gone up with his brothers, he had gone, if he had gone early, 
He would have been caught up in the masses and the people probably wanting him to show miracles and heal people. He, was, he would have been caught up in the controversy. Again, these, some of these Jews were looking to kill him. And then he would not have access to the temple for the, for the real purpose that he was going down there for. Some scholars uh, even said that if he had gone early, it, the, the triumphal entry would have come earlier in his ministry. Now, on top of the Jews, remember, it says in verse, look at verse 13, it says this. It says in verse 13, yet for fear of the Jews, no one was speaking openly about him. So not only were the people talking about him, but there was some tension in in Jerusalem that year. Remember back in chapter 5, the Jewish uh, officials, the aristocracy, the Pharisees and Sadducees were already wanting to kill Jesus. And so now there's word that Jesus' brothers are going down to Jerusalem and everybody's talking about it, but no one is, is talking about it openly. Because no one wants to associate themselves with Christ. No one wants to, to present themselves as a disciple of Christ. So there is a very real risk of Jesus being killed if he had gone up with his brothers. In fact, in verse 1, it even says that the, he didn't go up in the first place because people were seeking to kill him. So, if, if, so again, if people were already afraid not to talk about Jesus, there was a good chance that it was because this, this, this religious organization that was there, the Pharisees, again, the Sanhedrin, that religious elite group, they were out to arrest Jesus and eventually kill him in that festival. So all of that to say, if Jesus had gone earlier, he would have drawn a crowd, it would cause some sort of controversy, it would have been an early triumphal entry, possibly arrested, probably even killed if he had gone earlier. But because Jesus went on God's timing via God's method, he was able to fulfill his purpose as to why he was going down. Look at verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Jesus' true purpose as to why he was going down to Jerusalem, to the temple, that, that festival, was to teach, not to perform miracles, not to display his power, not to gain followers, but simply teach. That was God's will and purposes for him that festival. And to, to, to go otherwise, to, do a, to go approach that in a different method would to be completely out of line of God's will. And see, listen, that is the same way that Christ was in step, was in sync with the Father's will, is, is the goal for believers. It's, it's the goal for believers to be like Christ, so aligned with the Father's will, even to the minute details again. We read many passages like this in Scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Paul writes when he's praying for the the church of Colossae, he says, may you be filled with the knowledge of his will. The end goal, the, 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 the litmus test of a growth of a believer is that we are walking in step with the will of God. At the end of, of John's gospel, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, he says in John 17, verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then in verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me 
or love them even as you loved me. You know, I, I say this all the time. Christ did not die on the cross so that you can have a personal relationship with the Father. He died so that you can have his relationship with the Father. That same, that same connectedness that Christ felt in God's love, in how he walked in the Father's will and purposes for him, that's the kind of relationship that we are invited to have in Christ. Sometimes we think this idea of a personal relationship with God is, is a license for us to do what we want and call it Chris, Christian liberty. That's not what the Bible says. Christ died so that you can have his relationship. The same way that Christ was so in sync with the Father's will and purposes for his life, that is the relationship that we are to have as believers. We are to respond to the will and the timing of God the same way as Christ did. And so how do we do that exactly? Well, similar to our last, we, we get three lessons from how Christ responds. How to act on God's timing. Well, firstly, we must act with complete obedience. We must act with complete obedience. Again, Christ could have went up with his brothers or down with his brothers to Jerusalem and, and come out publicly as the Jewish Messiah, but he did not compromise from the Father's will, regardless the the the, the details, regardless the differences in timing and even in, in the method of approach. He doesn't say how, it doesn't, the, the, our passage doesn't say how long right after Jesus left to go to Jerusalem. It just says that right after his brothers left, he went down as well. But the point is whether it was a day or whether it was a second after his brothers were out the door, Jesus was obedient, completely obedient to the Father's will and timing. Not just the timing, again, it was the method. Privately, he went, he went up privately rather than publicly, complete obedience once again. If Christ went sooner, it would have been disobedience. If Christ went later, it would have been disobedience. If Christ came in with a public entourage, it would have been disobedience. I think our tendency in the flesh is, yes, we want God's timing. Yes, we want God's will and purposes and plans for our lives. Yes, we want God's blessings for our lives. But often, we do it in our own way. And, on, and especially on our time. You know, as we mentioned last week, God says it's okay to be in a relationship. But it has to be on my grounds, on my standards. The person I'm looking for. God says, you know, to serve and to give to the church. But I'll serve how I want. I'll give what I want. God says, go share the gospel to unbelievers, but I'll do it later when I have time. That's often our mentalities. You have to understand, listen, partial obedience is still disobedience. And in addition to that, delayed obedience is still disobedience. And we get lots of examples of this in, in the Bible. Remember, uh, in, in, in Numbers chapter 20, God tells Moses to, 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 to speak to a rock, to give water to the people. The people were complaining they didn't have water. God tells Moses to speak to a rock. What does Moses do instead? Okay, I'll do it. But he hits the rock instead. And as a result, just from that one act of disobedience, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. He, he followed God's will to give the people water, right? But he did it on his own terms. Joshua chapter 7, Israel, just, Israel defeats Jericho. You know that story. God tells them to destroy everything, to commit everything to destruction unto the Lord. But this guy named Achan keeps just a few things for himself. Just a few things. 
And as a result, the entire nation is punished and they lost to a smaller city called Ai next, the next, uh, the afterwards. And then famously, King Saul, the, the, the first king of Israel, he had a similar problem. God commanded him to defeat the, the Amalekites and destroy everything, to commit everything to destruction. Saul instead spares the king, saves some of the best animals, thinking that this will please God. I'm going to offer these things to the Lord. He sounds like he, he was doing the right thing, had some good intentions, right? But then Prophet Samuel comes and says very famously, 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. God sees partial obedience as rebellion. He says, even in that passage, Samuel says, it's as bad as divination, as sorcery. And he goes on to say, and, and, and presumption is as iniquity. Presumption, that our, our act of doing the will of God our way, thinking that our way is better, is sin, is idolatry, idolatry, idolatry to God. Why is that? Because even, even if our intentions are good, it still rejects the command and the word of God. Even if, if we think it's the best that we can do and offer, it still rejects the, the command of God if we're not doing it the way that God wants us to do. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And of course, we mentioned delayed obedience. We see a great example of that in Scripture. Famously, remember the prophet Jonah? He eventually got to Nineveh, but that was after being eaten by a great fish, after going through a storm, almost killing People on a boat. There's great danger in delayed obedience too, by the way. Because oftentimes when we delay on the call of God, on the will of God, on the timing of God, we become indifferent to the will of God. We put it off, we put it off, we put it off, we put it off until we are no longer burning with passion, until we've forgotten the will of God, until we've forgotten our purpose, until we've forgotten the task, until we've gone distracted, until we've grown cold, until we've quenched the spirit. There's a, great, there's a great danger to procrastinating the will of God in your life. So whether partial, partial or delayed obedience, it's still disobedience, church. And just as Christ demonstrated, we are to act with complete obedience. Why? Because it shows faith, it shows trust. It shows faith in, and trust in the plans of God, in the will of God. It's not exerting our own will it's, it's leaving no room for hesitation. It's, it's completely surrendering ourselves to the will of God. It's not presuming that we can do it a better way. Complete obedience demonstrates complete dependence on God. God it, it demonstrates, God, I, I'm not, it's not about my will. It's not about my timing. It's not about my way. I will trust in you. Your will be done. So just in, by way of application, what is it in your life that God is calling you to to obey him in? What is, what is God calling you to obey him in, in your life? Are you demonstrating complete obedience or are you 
demonstrating partial obedience, maybe even delayed obedience. We are to act with complete obedience. Secondly, we are to act despite people's opinions. Act despite people's opinions. Our passage tells us that Jesus' brothers had a lot of opinions, right, as we read. They wanted him to come up and show his power. The people had lots of opinions as well. It showed us sort of the two opinions that he's a good man, that no, he's deceiving people. Of course, the Jews, the religious elites, the religious authorities, they had their own opinions. They thought that he was causing trouble. They wanted to kill Jesus. But again, you know, remember, you know, I, I guess even talking about Jesus being equal with God in nature, we can't also forget that he was also 100% human. And so you can imagine the pressure that he was getting from his family, from his peers, even from society, to do it their way, to become king their way. No doubt the temptation to fold under peer pressure, to, to, to please people, no doubt that was there. Remember in Hebrews it says that, that Jesus was tempted like us but did not sin. So I'm sure he was struggling with all those things as well. And oftentimes the difficulty to obeying God's will and timing for our lives is because of the voices around us. It's because there are so many voices disagreeing or condemning or, or telling us otherwise or telling us how to do things other, other, apart from God's will. So many other opinions. I mean, that's, kind of, that's, that's the world we live in, right? Social media is just an outlet for people to post their, their opinions as truths behind a, a screen. And if, again, if you're not in line with their, their ideas or their opinions, then you get canceled, you get rejected, you get ostracized, you get called a racist, you get called a bigot, you get called some sort of phobic, phobia thing. That's why it's often hard to discern the will of God. It's often, and oftentimes we become fearful to, to move on God's timing because there are so many voices out there that tells us otherwise. Even the, the, the voice of ourselves, right? They say that your greatest critic is the one who looks in front of you in the mirror. And so whether it's the voices of others or the way, whether it's our own voices telling us otherwise, our flesh telling us otherwise, the fear of man is very paralyzing. But whose voice really matters? Whose voice in our lives actually matters? It's, it's God's, right? In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Even the voices that were seemingly good in our passage, right? Verse 12, the people were saying, he's a good man. Even that was deceptive because Jesus was not just a man. Jesus did not entrust his identity, his purpose, his worth, his plans to sinners. In fact, in John chapter 2, it says, after Jesus performs his first miracle and he drives out the, the money changers from the temple, it says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 24 of John, it says, Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, 
because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew what was really in the hearts of man. He knew that his identity was not, was not founded in the words of man or the opinions of people. He knew that God's purposes and will for his life was not founded in the opinions of others, especially sinful people. Listen, do not let sinful man determine your obedience to a holy God. Do not let sinful man determine your obedience to a holy God. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, there's this great passage that's often taken for dating advice, right? And you've probably heard it. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And again, we often take this as a dating advice, but the reality is it is the circumference of life. It's not just who you date, it's who you partner with. It's you who you associate with. What fellowship has light with darkness, those are two unequal things. What accord has Christ, the people of God, with the people of the world, the, of the, 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 the children of the enemy? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Sometimes we take the, the opinions of the world with so much weight. But again, what right does people who do not know God, what right do the people who are living in darkness, what right do they have to say to the lives of believers? Or the household of God? And listen, I'm not saying that you can't ever turn to someone for help. It's absolutely fine to seek wise counsel from godly individuals who are walking with the Lord about advice over your life. I love what Paul writes in, in one of his letters. He says, do not be deceived, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. It's either your, 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 your associates around you Either you're changing them for the, for the kingdom of God or they're changing you. That's the reality of it. And oftentimes that comes with their opinions. Whose opinions are we listening to? Again, do not let sinful man determine your obedience to a holy God. Here, here's some application for us. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice is the loudest in your mind? Is it, is it the Word of God? Is it God's voice? Is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it some voice outside? Is it the world? Is it unbelievers? And listen, if you're in a place where you have followed the will of God and you made a decision to follow Christ, but you're still getting those, those outside opinions, you're still getting people criticize and condemn you, listen, trust in God. Trust in God. Those voices will always be there. But the fact that you are obedient to God in the first place, understand that you're in the perfect hands of a loving God. Listen, the, the safest place in the world is in, is in, the, center of the God, in, is, is in the center of God's will. 
The safest place in the world for you is in the center of God's will. Doesn't mean that you won't experience suffering or trials in that. It doesn't mean that regardless of what might come, you're in the hands of a loving God. You're in the will of a loving God, not outside of it. Act despite people's opinions. If God is calling you, if God is telling you, if God is commanding you to do something, And as long as it's clarified in his word, as long as you have sought, if you sought good godly counsel, then do it. Pursue it. Whatever it may be that God is calling you to. So, lastly, act regardless of obstacles. Act regardless of obstacles. Our passage talks about various obstacles that Jesus faced. Of course, we talked about man's opinions. His family, who doubted him, the mob that could have kept him from getting into the temple, who wanted to force him as king. But again, most importantly, death, right? The people were out to get him. He would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Again, our passage says in verse 1. But despite even that obstacle, despite even the threat of death, Jesus was obedient to the Father. He was obedient to go and teach in the temple. That was, once again, why he was going down to Jerusalem. He was going to the head office of those who were trying to kill him and teach in their front lobby, right? Jesus could have continued teaching elsewhere. He could have stayed in in Galilee and taught there. He could have waited until the festival was done so that there would be less people and then gone down to teach. He He could have done so many other things. Again, this was, if, if we're reading in the context of, of John's gospel, this is actually the last year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And even as, after he left Galilee, we understand that he doesn't ever go back. But all, in spite of all of those things, he still went down to the temple to teach, to follow and be obedient to the purposes and will of God. Knowing, again, the very real threats that he was going to face, the conditions, the context of it, Jesus was obedient to the Father's will and timing. As we said earlier, right, complete obedience demonstrates complete dependence on God. Listen, God sees the hurdles. God sees the things that you need to overcome when he calls you to his purposes. He's not oblivious to them. God has called you to something. If God has called you to something, he will provide for it. Whether, where it's, an ex, whether it's an exit, whether it's, a, it's strength to endure, whether it's his presence in the loneliness, whether it's a way to overcome the obstacles, or, or simply his, just, just his grace, God will provide. Live by this principle. This is a principle that I, I've, I've tried to live by in my life. The call of God is always accompanied by the care of God. The call of God is always accompanied by the care of God. Meaning, God's not going to send you somewhere that he's not going to be, he's not going to be present in. Where he's going to abandon you, where he's going to leave you alone. God will never send you somewhere where he won't be, where he won't provide for it. Again, help or strength or endurance. Even if, it's, even if it involves suffering, understand for the believer, you can trust that God's grace will be there. Act regardless of whatever obstacles might be ahead of you in obeying God. Whatever opinions, whatever 
criticisms you might face. God calls us to obedience. Listen, if God is calling you to do something, if God's timing is now for you, or whatever it might be, for his plans and purposes for you, the challenge is to do it, to obey completely, as we've been talking about. And I get it. As we've been talking about, there's so many opinions out in the world. There's so many things out in the world trying to to get our attention, to distract us. And you might even be thinking, well, it's so hard, right? It's so hard to discern what the will and the voice of God is. How, how How can I discern what God's will and purposes are for my life when when there's so many other voices coming in? Well, good question is, are you in the Word? Are you praying? Are you in God's presence? Are you seeking Him? Listen, let me do something real quick. Right? Let me just, I know it's been a little long, but let me just do a little quick illustration. Can I ask Brother Benji real quick? I haven't done something like this in a while. Well, just stand there for a second, right? So here's dear brother Benji seeking God's will, seeking, you know, God's plans and purposes for, for his life, right? And, and imagine for a minute, you know, I, I fall short as always, you know, I, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm the voice of God trying to lead him and direct him. But then there's all these other voices. I'm going to ask everyone here to just comment something about Benji right now, out loud, please. <laughs> Great hair. I love his sweater. Whatever it is. I love his shoes. His pants look great. Whatever it is. Everyone say something. Out loud. Raise a note. You know, lift a voice. Loud. And here, and here is the voice of God saying, Here's the voice of God saying, So it's hard for him to hear, right? What happens if he comes closer? Very simple. What happens if he comes closer? Come closer. Despite what everybody's saying, whatever, whatever, just come on, everybody hear If he comes closer, what happens? What did I say? What did I say? He said, uh, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved. That's it. Proximity, proximity determines clarity. That's all it is. Thank you. Maybe the reason why you are not hearing the voice of God, the will of God, the plans and purposes of God in your life is because you're not close to God right now. Maybe because you have been listening to so many other voices for such a long time, your fellowship with God has been shipwrecked and you're wondering why you cannot hear his voice. Listen, Jesus says something so beautiful and so, so, so definitive of what a believer is in John chapter 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That is a depiction of complete obedience. Whose voice are you obeying? Whose will are you following? Whose timeline are you chasing after? Yours, the world's, 
someone else's? The invitation is to be in sync with the Savior, to be in step with the Savior. Again, to, be, to, to, to do otherwise is in direct rebellion against God. If you are trying to enforce your will, your plans, your purposes in your own life, it is in complete rebellion against God. And listen, as a, as a brother in Christ, as a, as a church family, we invite you, we invite you to draw near to God. To draw near. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon, his, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That is the great abundant grace that we can experience in the Lord. Listen, if you have been wayward, if you have been disobedient, if you have been doing it your, will, your way, your will, your timing, this is the grace that you experience, that you can experience when you come to God. He's ready to have compassion. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to restore. He's ready to strengthen the, the feeble bones, the we bring to life those who are dead. And listen, again, if, if you are an unbeliever, if you have yet to put your faith in Christ, the only will of God that is necessary in your life is to get right with him, to repent. To repent of sin and turn to him. The invitation for us this morning is clear. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, church. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we come humbly before your throne. We know, God, the many, many ways where we have run from you, where we have tried to do things our way, in line with our timing and schedule, in line with our will. And Father, we ask for forgiveness and cleansing. That as David prayed, that you would put a right spirit within us, a steadfast spirit within us, That, God, we would be faithful to you, to your will, to your call, your purposes. That we would not turn to the left or to the right. That, God, we would be completely obedient to your will. So, Father God, I pray for the hearts that you are speaking to this morning, that you are convicting this morning. But, Father God, if... If today they hear your voice, this is your timing. This is the right moment to come back home. That, Father, they would, they would not harden your heart. That they would not harden their hearts towards you. 
And so, Father, I pray for mercy and grace. An abundance of your love fall afresh on every heart. That we would be reminded, O Lord, of the lengths in which your Son, Jesus Christ, has gone through the pain and suffering that he had to endure just so that the veil would be torn and so that we could have a right relationship with you and so that we can have your will, your guidance, your spirit in our lives. I pray, O oh God, that you would return to us the joy of our salvation, that we would once again hear the voice of our good shepherd, that we would hear once again the voice of the one who loves us eternally and that we would by your help, by your Spirit's power, be able to follow you completely. Be able to obey you completely. So help us, Lord. Our hearts are prone to wander, oh Lord. But we know that it is you who keeps us. It's you who secures our relationship. It is you who secures our eternity for us, oh God. And so we throw our hands asking for mercy and grace and help trust in you. In Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.